Amen. Well, I'm excited to be here. It's been a while, man. I miss you guys, but I'm excited to be back in the pulpit tonight. And uh, when Pastor Kempis texted me and said, hey, you want to step in for, for me in the men's ministry? I said, absolutely. Sign me up. What's the passage? What are we doing? Like, where, where, where are you at? And he goes, all right, we're going to do John 8, 31 through 59. I thought to myself, man, that's a great series. That's a great series that I don't know how long you're going to spend on it, but I'm excited to hear more about it. And I'm thinking, what, what part do you want me to take? And I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And I found out it was the whole thing. And so I said, okay, well, we got a lot to cover tonight. Uh, but, man, I'm fired up about this passage and to, to bring the word to you through this passage through John 8, 31, because there's a lot that's within this passage. There's so much richness that's in this passage that we're going to be able to unpack tonight alone. So when you think about it, part of it is we're going to find out what Jesus says discipleship should look like. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? We're going to find out what Jesus said truth means. So in a world that tries to define truth in every way, shape, or form that it can, we're going to find out what Jesus says truth means. And then we're going to find out the biggest issue that you and I will face as Christian men. We're going to find that out tonight in our passage. And also, we're going to find out the ultimate confidence that we can have in the eternal hope through Jesus Christ. All of that we're going to find out tonight. So I'm fired up about this passage. I'm fired up to open up God's word with you. And all of that, all that what I just mentioned should motivate you in your pursuit of Christ, should motivate you to run after Christ even harder. Because when we, when we run after Christ, when we have that hot pursuit of Christ, we need to understand that, look, the devil is at work. He's at work and his whole MO is to get you to think that you're doing just fine. You're doing okay. You don't need to press the button there. You can relax a little bit. You can cruise control. Take it easy. And I don't want you to be oblivious to that fact that he's working hard to make that happen. But as Christians and as disciples of Jesus Christ, we must be lifelong learners of Christ, something that never ends, that we continue to pursue all throughout our Christian life. So let's jump right into that and open up God's word to John chapter 8, verse 31. John 8, verse 31. We're going to start there, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read it in sections that will exegete right when we're done. So we're going to go through 31 through 36 to start. But I want to get a running start by starting in verse 30. So John 8, verse 30. Let's start there. It says, as he was saying these things, many believed him. So Jesus said to the Jews that had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So I want to stop right there for a second because we got a predicament right here. Because Jesus is saying many people believed him, but then he puts this contingency in there, but says, if you abide in my word, that word abide is remain, to, to be constant, to continue in his word then you are truly my disciples. So what does that belief mean at the beginning? Well, that belief that he's talking about is head knowledge. He's saying that many Jews saw the miracles that he was doing. He saw the healings that he was doing. And they said, look, I believe. I believe that Jesus can do that. But then there's another step to discipleship. That means continuing to be in his word, to be a doer of his word. Right? That word disciple in the Greek means learner, constant learner of Jesus. Verse 32, it says, 
and you will know the truth. If you are my disciple, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, the Jews, saying, We are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So as we read that in verse 35, he's talking about this slave and son relationship. And if you can think about this, they were very familiar with this, right? If you have slaves in the house, they have a specific job to do. And the son might even have a job to do. The son might be doing some of the work that the slave is doing. But at any point in time, the master can say, slave, you're done. He can eject the slave from his duty at the house. Well, you see, he's not going to eject the son because there's a relationship there. There's a relationship between the son and the master versus the slave and the master. And what's interesting about that, in verse 36, he goes from talking about the son, capital S-O-N, to the son, Jesus, capital, or excuse me, capital S-O-N in verse 36, will set you free. So Jesus is the one that will set you free. But yet, the Jews are having a hard time with this one. D.L. Moody told a story back in the day of a guy coming up to him and asking this question, posing this question, saying, why is it that Muhammad, although he was 600 years after Jesus Christ, why is it that he has more true disciples than Jesus has? This is how Moody responded to that question. He said, you see, to be a disciple of Muhammad doesn't require any life change. You say it, it doesn't require you to do anything different. You can continue to be a sinner. You can continue to do the things that you can do. You can continue to live a life full of sin and be in darkness. You don't have to bear any cross of anyone. But to see, to be a true disciple of Jesus, cross, of Jesus Christ, you have to be willing to give up your life. You have to be willing to step out of the world to say, I'm going to die to self because I want to live for Christ. And he said that's the reason why many can't follow Jesus. So you see there's a difference between being a disciple of Jesus. Get this headphone headset straight first. Hold on. There we go. All right. So there's a difference between being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Right? And verse 31 tells us that. Right? Jesus tries to make it clear to the Jews. Right? He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. But here's the problem with that when we try to push that up to the world that we live in today. Because the world we live in today, there, there's truth everywhere. There's truth everywhere, right? It's subjective. It's, it's relative. Based on what you want truth to mean. Everyone has their version of truth, right? It's almost like you're offering something that they already have, right? They don't, it, it doesn't really matter. It's like when you go to Costco and they ask you what kind of TV service you have. It's like, well, whatever. I'm not even going to give you any attention because I already got a TV. I don't need your TV, right? That's how we treat truth. In the society. But the thing is, we need to understand that our feelings, they don't matter at the end of the day. When it comes to truth, our feelings don't matter. The only thing that matters when it comes to truth is the source of truth. Who is the source of truth? Well, God's Word tells us this in the book of John. We don't have to go that far. The source of truth is the Spirit. John 16, 13 says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. The source of truth is Scripture. 
John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. You know what else is truth? Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? And so the, the whole context, all of God is truth. So you want to know more about truth? You want to know more about the truth that will set you free? The truth that will set you free, not from the small problems of the world, but the big problems that every single person that's walking the face of this earth has to deal with. The way we know more truth is we need to know more about Jesus, and we need to seek him daily. And that's our first point this morning is this evening. We're not in the morning anymore. I'm used to being up here with class Sunday morning. So first point is seek daily to learn more about Jesus. Seek daily to learn more about Jesus. Here's another challenge that we all face. We all live in this world, this current society that tries to make everything efficient. Think about your jobs. Right, your job is to make things more efficient every day. And unfortunately, we try to do that with knowing more about Jesus Christ. It shows up when your day gets all jammed up. The first thing that gets limited, the first thing that goes away, is us studying God's Word and praying. You see, because we try to make God's Word efficient, and it can't be that way. God's word, God's truth is the charger, the spiritual charge that we all need. And if we don't have enough spiritual charge, we can run the rest, risk of going dead. Right? And so we need that spiritual charge. Well, how do we learn more about Jesus? There's four ways that I put down. The first one is through the Bible. You learn more about Jesus through God's word. God gave us everything that we need to know for life and godliness here in the pages of Scripture. You learn more about Jesus through God's word. You learn more about Jesus through prayer. You talking to Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus. That's how you learn more about Jesus. Here's a tough one. Here's a challenging one for all of us men. You learn more about Jesus through godly counsel. You learn more about Jesus through discipleship, through letting someone know, hey, this is where I'm struggling at. Because you see, the tendency that we have as men is to say, hey, I, I'll, I'll just give you the sin that's acceptable, right? I study, I, I, I have a hard time studying God's Word, right? You know, I want to wake up more and study God's Word. That's my, that's my big struggle. That's it, right? But we don't want to talk about that sin problem that if I were to put up here on the screen, you'd probably walk out if that was you. And we don't want to talk about it because that's the lie that the devil tells us that we can handle it ourselves. How is that going? The same sin problem that's been plaguing you for years after years after years after years, and the devil has convinced you that you got it. You don't need to tell anybody else. There's no better person to tell it to than another brother in Christ that's going to help you, that's going to hold you accountable to be more like Christ. That's how we learn more about Jesus, through godly counsel. Here's the last one. We learn more about Jesus through action. Action, not just head knowledge, but being doers of the word. So when you read and you learn God's word and you get counsel, it's not about just sitting there and saying, hmm, I'll use this on a rainy day if somebody asks me about it. No, it's about going to do God's word. And God promises that he'll reveal himself to you, that he'll show you more and more of himself. If we do that daily, you will know truth. Paul tells us that in Philippians 3.12. Philippians 3.12, jot that down. 
the Philippians saw Paul as one, thing, one level short of Jesus, right? He, he was the gold standard to them. But this is what Paul says. He says in verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this, that this is talking about the resurrection he had just mentioned in the previous verse. He says, or I'm already perfect. Paul said, I'm not perfect. This is what I do, but I press on to make it my own. I know I'm not perfect, but I continue to press on, right? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do is forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. You see, so when we become doers of God's word, God reveals himself to us to let, him know that, let us know that he's working as long as we continue to pursue learning him. But here's something that's mind-blowing. Right? It's mind-blowing, and you, probably, you already know this. It's not a surprise, but when it comes to learning more about Jesus, here's how God works in this. The more we learn about Jesus, the more we realize we don't know. Somebody's got to say amen to that one. Amen. The more we learn about Jesus, the more we realize we don't know. Right? We, we start to have to ask questions. We, we start to wrestle with Scripture because, man, there's so much out there. We can't get to the bottom of this book. Right? But on the flip side, the, the non-Christians and the lukewarm and cold Christians are alike in the sense that they read God's Word and they say, I got it. Let me close this thing up. I understand God. No, no, no. The more you learn about God, the more he reveals himself to you. Verse 33, they're, they're set in their ways, right? These Jews are saying, we are offspring of Abraham. And Pastor Kellen's uh, paraphrase of this said, Jesus, we don't need you. We're good, all right? We, we, we got everything that we need. You Go take your, your story to somebody else. We don't need it. But it's not just the Jews that think that way. Because sometimes as I'm speaking to a Gentile-filled audience, we can be that same way, right? We can hang on to things. We can be set in our ways, hang on to things that have happened in the past, right? You, you've grown up in the church, so you think, I'm good to go. I got everything that I need. Right? You, you grew up going to Christian elementary or junior high or high school or college. You even went and got a seminary degree. And you say, I, I, I'm good. I got a degree that shows how, how, how I overachieve for Christ. Right? You, you, you talk about things that you used to do in the church. Right? You become that back-in-my-day Christian. You know that? You, you know, you, some of you guys do that with some young folk. Y'all go around there. Back in my day, when I used to play basketball, I used to dunk. No, you didn't. <laughs> right? No, you didn't. But here's the thing. Like, as, as an athlete, that, that happens, right? Your body fails on you, and you can't do what you, what you once did before. But as a Christian, every day should be your peak. You should be at your best Every day moving forward, because 2 Corinthians 4 tells us the inner man is being renewed day by day. So there's no back in my day as a Christian. There's only I'm getting better because I'm learning more and more about Christ, and I'm growing closer to him and being more like him. See, man, we got to beware of this I'm good enough mentality when it comes to Christ. I'm setting my ways. I got everything. See, the Jews thought they were, they were really free. Right? They thought they were free to do everything because they hung their hats on 
Abraham. They were descendants of Abraham. And really, they were, weren't realizing that they, they were the ones that were slaves the entire time. Verse 34 and 35, Jesus answered them, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Right? A slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains. And so he, he's having this conversation with them, and they're just missing it. Like, oh, you're not talking to me. I, I've never been a slave. Right? I've never been a slave. But what sin does is sin makes us feel like we're okay. Right? It, it blinds us and makes us think that we're doing just fine. The fact of the matter is, the more we think, the more the world thinks that they're free, the more slave in bondage to slaves that they truly are. Right? They, they, they think they're free because they can do whatever they want to. There's no accountability. There's no boss over their life. But really, they're enslaved to sin because sin has blinded them to think that they're really in control. Right? You're really in control, not God. You think about it. I mean, being in control of your own life, that's easy. If I want to go party and get drunk because I'm Lord of my own life, that, that, that's not hard, right? If I want to yell at my kids and my wife and feel like I got power because that's a tough thing to do, that, that's not hard, right? Those, those are easy. If I want to lust over women because nobody's going to catch me, that, that's not hard to do, right? What's hard is saying, I'm going to be a slave to God. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to live for God because I care more about the next life than I do about this life. Right? You're enslaved to sin when you think you're free. And Paul tells us this in Romans 6, verses 20 through 23. Really, you can read the whole chapter of Romans 6 and understand this, but specifically in verse 20 through 23, he explains this well. It says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. So what he's saying there is when you were slaves of sin, Righteousness didn't matter to you. You, you, you were hands off to righteousness. You go, you go do whatever you want to do, right? But then he comes back in verse 21. He says, but what fruit were you getting at, at that time? Right? You, you could do whatever you wanted to do, but you weren't bearing any fruit. Right? From the things which you are now ashamed of. So when you become a Christian, you look back at your old life and say, man, how did I ever do that? When the old self was saying, yeah, have at it. Because you're free. Right? For the end of those things, those things that you did that were free from righteousness, the end of those things is death. Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in learning more about Christ through Bible, through prayer, through counsel, through action, we can understand and we can, we can recall those times when we're being tempted to be more like the world. Back in our passage, picking it up in verse 37, it says this, it says, Jesus is saying, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So he's starting to throw out who their father is, but they don't quite know just yet. He continues on. They answered him, our, Abraham is our father, right? And so they want to intercept what he's saying. No, let me tell you who our father is, Abraham. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. 
that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. If you remember what Abraham did in Genesis 18 when he had the, the, the three angels of the Lord come to see him, he ran to his wife and said, quick, let, let's fire up a meal. Like, they're here. Right? And he served them because they were messengers from God. Well, Jesus is saying, look, I'm a messenger from God, and you're not treating me like Abraham treated messengers from God. So you're not acting like your father Abraham. He says, you are doing the works that your father did. Again, he throws out the father. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So they go from saying, Abraham's our father, to no, let me get it right, God's our father. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Here comes the big blow. You are your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar. He is the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Right? Which one of you convicts me of sin? And just think about this right now. When he's asking these questions, just picture these, this, this, this long pause from Jesus. Right? He, he asked that tough question right there, verse 46. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Right? There's a group of Jews around. No answer. If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? No answer. Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason that you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Saying you're not of God. So you... My, my words can't even find place in you because you've been blinded to the truth. In Laos, a, a primary Buddhist religion, communist country in Asia, uh, they had this, this process. If you came out and said you were an eva evangelical Christian, then they forced you to sign a document. They forced you to sign a document, and this document was filled out publicly, and this is some of what it said. It says, now, I, whoever you're signing as, I and my family clearly see the intentions of the enemy and regret the deeds which we have committed, saying that we are Christians. Therefore, I and my family voluntarily and unequivocally resign from believing this foreign religion that is called Christianity. And they forced them to sign that out in public. And if you didn't sign it, guess what? They persecuted you and they punished you. And this is the same country, same country where the Constitution guarantees the right and freedom to believe or not believe in religions. So you can say whatever you want, but the minute you start talking about truth, I got a problem with that. I got a problem with that. You see, this, this world is so twisted and so blinded, as it's supposed to be, right? That, that, that's part of it. This is not a surprise. But it's so twisted and blinded that they take the one, the one big problem that the world has with sin, that they cannot solve, and with death, Christianity has a solution for it. But then when you present Christianity, they treat you as you're the one problem that's getting in their way from enjoying life. See how weird that is? See how twisted the world is? But I'm just saying, as we go through all that and as you experience that, expect it. Expect it. It shouldn't become a surprise to you. 
And that's point number two for us this evening is expect opposition to the truth. Expect opposition to the truth because Jesus certainly did. He wasn't thrown off by the ways the Jews were responding to him or he wasn't caught off guard. He knew it because they were blinded. It doesn't matter. You got Jesus standing here, right? The perfect one, the sinless one. He's standing in front of them trying to proclaim truth, sharing with them exactly what truth is and who he is, and they miss it. They miss it. So, of course, the world is going to oppose truth because they oppose Jesus, right? And there's two forms that we can expect opposition from the world. And these are subpoints that I put up here. And the first one, as I just said it, is from the world, right? One way that we can expect opposition is directly from the world. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5 says this. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And in their case, the God of the world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what do we do? Why, why do we keep pressing on? This is why. Verse 5 it says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. So it's going to come from the world. Opposition is. We should expect that. It might come at your job, right? Your job talks about being inclusive. They want to hear your opinion. Yeah, they'll hear your opinion until what? You start talking about truth. You start talking about Jesus. And then they'll say, you can't say that. Well, what happened to being inclusive? Right? I, I, thought, I thought it was open door policy here. No. But that's the opposition that you're going to face. Some of you in here have unbelieving spouses, and that opposition comes from your spouse because your spouse sees you as the center of her life, but you have Jesus as the center of your life, which causes you to love your spouse even more, but then your spouse can resent that, and there can be opposition even within your own household. It can be opposition coming from your kids. Right? You have young kids that are non-Christians. They come, at, they come home and they want to understand why they can't do what Johnny's doing down the street who has the cool parents, right? Why you have to be so strict. Or you might have adult kids that are unbelievers and they don't understand why you're taking this Jesus thing so seriously. You're missing out on life. Right? It can come from all over. It can definitely come from the culture which will continue to do things to tighten the, tighten the harness around Christianity, right? It's going to continue to squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze tighter and tighter. And they'll continue to mask it with a, a, a false Christianity that's acceptable, that they've determined is okay. So it's going to come from the world. But here's the most dangerous part. Because the world is one thing. You can see it. We, we see it happening. You watch the news. You can feel it within your own life. But here's the most dangerous one. It can come from within yourself. Right? Opposition, or point B is, it can come from your flesh. And you see it in the Jews right here in our passage. Right? They're blinded. They're blinded by Satan. And that's Satan's whole MO. He wants to get your eyes off of God and on something else. Off of God and on somebody to your left or your right to make you feel like I'm doing better than they are, so I might be okay. 
off of God to get it on what you want to do in life and what makes you happy. Because at the end of the day, you only got one life to live. You might as well be happy. That's what Satan wants to do. Right? He wants you thinking, I'm good. Right? I can put it in cruise control. Look, cruise control is a great feature for a car. It's a dangerous thing for a Christian. It's a dangerous thing for a Christian to think that I can just live life based on what I already got and the speed that I've already racked up. Verse 44, there is no truth in him, right? There's no truth. He is the father of lies. I think we need to think about that more, right? Who Satan is, what he is trying to do. Right? He, he wants to distract you. Just think about Genesis 3. Right? Go back to where he shook up everything. Right? God told, told Adam he could eat from any tree. It wasn't like he, he said, hey, this, you know, we're, we're locking you down. He was basically saying, have at it. You can, you can have access to every tree, just not the one tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's it. Have every tree, but not the one tree. And what does Satan come to do? Well, we got to get that one tree. Right? Because I know you want that one tree. And what did he say? Did, did God really say? And think about how much that comes up in our life. Right? When you start to, to think about it and you, you're not in the word and you're not in prayer and you're not constantly getting counsel from other brothers in Christ. And you're not doing God's word. You constantly convince yourself, I mean, did God really say? I mean, doesn't God want me to be happy a little bit? Doesn't he want me to get my way? But we need to understand, again, what Satan is there to do and understand that is Satan. That is his goal. His goal is to not to make you happy. His goal is to, 1 Peter 5, 8, to destroy you. He wants to destroy you. And there's only two teams you can be on. You're either a child of God or a child of Satan, right? You're either a slave or you're free. That's it. There, there's no in-between. And Satan's got many people on his team, but he's out to get more. And he's out to get people that are calling themselves Christians because that's a big win for him. Those two questions I, I mentioned in 46 and 47 are powerful. And again, we need to think about this more. You and I just need to ponder on these and meditate on these questions that Jesus asked. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Like literally, one sin Jesus is asking for. Convict me of one sin. Call out one sin. And you know they're watching for it. You know they wanted to have something to call out, and they were silent. Nothing there. I mean, think about the track record of that. <laughs> right? The track record. His, his stat. This is perfection that we're talking about. I think we should listen to somebody that's perfect. Right? Pick up back in our verse in verse 48 to 59, Jesus continues with this, and, and the, the Jews are getting really dis disrespectful now, right? The Jews answered him, says, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan? Ultimate disrespect, right? The, the hated enemy of the Jews, Samaritan. Are you not a Samaritan? Then they take it a step further and have a demon. Jesus answered them, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. 
Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you do not know him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see the day. He saw it and was glad. This is talking about a, a vision that Abraham had from the heavenly realm, right? Not during his earthly ministry, but from the heavenly realm. He, he saw the plans. He saw everything that Jesus was going to do. So he said he was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not even 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham, right? Jesus gets as clear as he can. He, you know, I'm tired of just beating around the bush if I was before. If I wasn't clear enough, here it go. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. One of my favorite times of the year is about to come upon us, and that is March Madness. I enjoy March Madness because not only do you get to see the college athletes play at their best, but you also get to see the crazy maniac fans at their best too, right? Because they want to do everything that they can to help their team win. And then if you notice in most college arenas, they strategically place the crazy student section behind the basket. And the reason that they do that is because they can distract the opposing team when it comes time to shoot free throws, right? And so you put these crazy maniacs back there, and they're waving their hands and throwing all kind of objects just to try to get the free throw shooter to get his eyes off the target. Because if you can focus on them for just one second, they got you where they want you. And so what to understand about that is, look, they can't touch you. They can't do anything but to try to throw you off your game by distracting you. Well, in the Christian life, Satan's not going to touch you. Satan's not going to do anything other than try to throw you off your game by distracting you. And at the end of the day, for the free throw shooter, none of that really matters. It's between them and the goal. They either miss it or they make it. For the Christian, at the end of the day, all of that stuff, all of these temptations, they really don't matter because it's only between you and Christ and do you have a relationship with them. And that's all that matters in the end. And that brings us to our final point tonight is know that only Jesus matters in the end. Know that only Jesus matters in the end. One of my favorite poems is from C.T. Studd when he said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I mean, that, that, just taking that, that line by itself. Only what's done for Christ will last. I just think about that. All the things that you do that fill your day, that you plan, your, your work schedule and, and, and t- excuse me, time with family and, uh, you know, running exercise and all of those things, all how you spend your day, only what's done for Christ will last. 
Right? Those things that you do can be applied towards Christ, but only the things done for Christ will last. He holds the key to eternal life. And that's what he's trying to get through to the Jews in verses 51 and 52. He's trying to help them understand that, but they're so focused on the physical that they miss his whole point. Right? Verse 51, he says, If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, right? Abraham's died. He's gone, as did the prophets. And you say we will never taste death? He's talking about the spiritual. They're focused on the physical, what's happening now. God tries to get us to focus on him. Colossians 3, set our minds on things above, right? God's constantly trying to get us in the life that we're living right now to focus on the spiritual, focus on the things that matter, focus on the things that are transient, well beyond this life. That's what he wants us to focus on. He's saying, death, don't worry about it. You see, because you see, death, that's a big problem for the, for the entire world. But if you have me, I defeated death. Death has no sting. There's nothing to worry about. I took care of that for you. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 and 57, the sting of, of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, death is nothing more than, the, the death of the physical body is nothing more than just an initiation for us spiritually being with Christ for eternity. That's all it is. It has to happen in order for us to transport and be with Christ for eternity. And that's all it is for a Christian. For a non-Christian, death is a big deal because they're now apart from God for eternity. Right? Verse 55 and 58, he says, he's telling them, I do know him. Right? I, I keep his word. He's trying to get them to understand. Look, I know God. I, I, I come from the heavenly realm. God sent me. I'm here to tell you the good news of the gospel that you can have eternal life, but they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. And then finally, he makes it so clear for them in verse 58. He says, I am. I am. Not I was, not I was there when Abraham was back there. No, I am. I've always been. I am deity. Right? And they knew exactly what that means. Right? They understood that there was only one person that said, I am. Right? He came in Exodus 3. He spoke to Moses in a burning bush. Moses said, you want me to go back to Egypt and lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Who do I tell them sent me? He said, tell them I am sent you. That's it. Tell them I am, and they'll listen. Right? Jesus comes out here and says, I am, I am. Right? I am. Christ is God. Christ is God. And we need to often check the track record of, of that. Right? We can get into the, the minutia of this world and say, okay, this is truth over here, or this is truth over here. This person seems like they got a logical response or, or argument for truth and this and this and this. But at the end of the day, there's only one perfect one. There's only one who created everything. There's only one who lived a perfect life. Nobody else can say that. So I think I should listen to that person that is the perfect one. Right? He, he's batting 1,000, he, and he has an end goal in mind. And guess what? The end goal is not to make everybody happy, not to base judgment on everybody else's truth, but to base judgment on the truth that he gave us through his word through the life of Jesus Christ. 
right? The feelings that everybody has. I, I feel like this is the way to uh, heaven, eternity. I feel like this is the way to heaven. I feel like this is the right thing to do. Your feelings are going to die with your physical body. And all that's left is what God has given us and told us about the good news of the gospel, a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the truth that matters. And guess what? When you tell people that, they're going to pick up stones and throw them at you too. Because people don't want to hear the truth. The truth of Jesus Christ. The one truth that matters. But we should expect that, right? We should constantly learn more about Jesus because there's an unlimited amount of knowledge that Jesus had. That Jesus has for us. Wisdom that he wants us to continue to grow in. Right? We have to expect that opposition is going to come because it is. As soon as you go out and tell somebody this on the street, they're going to cut you off. They don't want to talk about it, and they're going to dismiss that conversation. It's just what it is. Expect it to happen. But we continue to press on, as Paul said. We continue to press on because every person that's walking the face of this earth needs to hear the gospel. I mean, think about that for a second. There's, there's not one other message that every person across the face of this earth needs to hear other than the gospel. Everything else is subjective. But every person is going to die. Every person is going to stand in front of God and be judged based on truth, the one truth that matters. And we as Christians need to be confident in going to share that, and we need to be bold in going to share that, and we need to be bold in living our own life following Jesus, because Satan's working to blind us. Our job is to be disciples, not to be comfortable in this world. That's what Satan wants us to believe. Just take it easy. Have fun in this world. I want to conclude with the passage that I was just in. I would love for you to turn there with me. It's Philippians 3. Philippians 3, going to verse 7. I talked about verse 12 before, but I want to read the, the part where Paul was talking about that led up to verse 12, straining towards the goal. Because he talks about comparing his life, the things he's achieved, to knowing Christ Jesus. And I think this is something that we all need to ponder on and meditate on more. Philippians 3, 7 says this, but whatever gain I had, and we're talking about Paul. Paul had a lot of accolades, right? The Pharisee of Pharisees, big time, okay? Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Nothing else matters. I suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, garbage, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's what it's all about, man. That's what it's all about. Everything that we do in this life, 
is to attain the resurrection from the dead. Everything that we do. So let's be motivated to be disciples of Jesus and have a lifelong commitment to following truth, the one truth that matters. Pray with me. God, we thank you so much for saving us. Thank you for salvation, the free gift of salvation that we don't deserve, that you gave to us by your grace, by your mercy. And Lord, as we read a a passage like this, hearing from Jesus himself speak about truth, speak about truth that in our world is so crowded with so many various forms of truth. Lord, I pray that we read this and we remember that none of that matters. Nobody else's truth matters. What our job says, what our, what, our, what our neighbors might say, what our friends might say, what our unsaved family members might say about truth, it doesn't matter. The only truth that matters is the one that we call Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I'm thank you, I thank you for opening our eyes to see that. And I just pray that we can be more bold and we can pursue you even more, knowing that Satan is trying as hard as to distract us, to make us comfortable in this life. Lord, I pray that we would get comfortable being uncomfortable. We would get comfortable being on the move, being on a constant pursuit of you. Lord, we need your help to do that. And I pray that you would give us that strength and you would give us that desire. You would give us that commitment and resolve to do that every day of our life to learn more about you, that we may live a life that is pleasing to you in Jesus.